May all beings be happy. May all beings be healthy. May all beings be free from harm. May all beings love life. May all beings awaken. Welcome to another Cuke Audio podcast. I'm DC, Pubov Cuke Audio and Cuke Archives, doing our best to help preserve the legacy of Shinju Suzuki and those whose paths cross his and anything else that comes to mind. I pray that you and yours are safe and comfortable, free from economic hardship, and able to get out and do whatever it is you want within the limitations of the universal precept of do as little harm as possible. So um, today's guest is once again John Steiner. So we get a little more into his spiritual path and uh, you know, how he got into his um, uh, engaged Buddhist path. Uh, and uh, we just talk about that and other stuff. Uh, yeah, pretty interesting, pretty interesting. He's, um, he's got a um, unique uh, situation uh, that uh, I think you'll appreciate. So, uh, look... Uh, Let's not waste any more time. After our pause to meditate, let's give John Steiner a call. So when you hear the bell, if you're of such a mind, hit pause and meditate or whatever for as long as you like. And when you're ready to come back, hit unpause. And we'll be here to hit the bell to end the meditation or whatever. And we'll give John Steiner a call. Good morning, David. Hey, John. How you doing? <laughs> so what time is it there? 9 p.m. All right. Well, thank you for staying up later. Oh, well, my pleasure. <laughs> when we last talked, if memory serves, I, I want to go back into how you got into... Uh, activism and how you got into Buddhism. I mean, what were your paths there that led to that? What were your influences as a child or did you have any epiphanies as a baby or, you know, etc.? So you, you, you want to start with Buddhism or activism? Well, start with Buddhism. You know, I was thinking about it the other day. I remember when I maybe, I don't know, eight or nine, for some reason, the idea of infinity got hold of me. Mm -hmm. 
and and I couldn't do anything about it. You know, I couldn't quite conceive it. My father couldn't. He he tried his best to answer questions, but somehow it was there. I wouldn't call it a koan because one wouldn't know that word, but it it was an inquiry or an interest that didn't have an answer. Yeah. Oh, it sounds like a koan to me. But <laughs> right. Well, you don't know at that age that you have a koan, but maybe you do. Well, if, and, it, um, if you had a gnawing question. The... Yeah. But, it, you know, it, I wouldn't call it gnawing. It, it, it took over for a while, and then it, it subsided. So that was one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I would say that the major piece, interesting, because I haven't thought of it like that. I'd say there were a couple of major pieces. One's just suffering and looking for a way to deal with suffering mm-hmm. and, and behavior, which I'm happy to go into, but I'm not sure it's necessary. I think that's up to you. That really led to serious suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, that was number one. You know, I think the major, trying to remember how I, I mean, the, the major piece was the girlfriend. I mean, how many, many of us got to places because of girlfriends or boyfriends? You know, I was dating a woman who found her way to the first uh, fundraiser for Zen Center. Uh, who was that? And then she wanted to go to Tosin. Remember Nelda Festi? Oh, sure. Well, she was my, I mean, without her, there wouldn't have been, I would never have come to Zen Center. Mm. I met her in in Berkeley. I was a graduate student. And, you know, she introduced me to marijuana, LSD, and Zen. It was a pretty good trifecta. Yeah, right. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And then the other the other piece was as you know that's somehow she had found her way to Zen Center. Was going to Tassajara the first summer it opened. And I guess she gave me, I don't know which Alan Watts book it was, but it was the first thing I ever read that really, truly made sense to me Mm -hmm. in in a way that Western philosophy and Judaism is how I, I wasn't, which I was born into, but not raised with. And, you know, I consider myself a cultural Jew, and in some ways, after this last tragedy in Israel, I, I may feel more, in, a, in an odd way, feel more Jewish than I ever have before. Hmm. And, you know, and I tried on Christianity, and and Alan Watson was like, okay, I'm home. Hmm. So I'd say... You know, that was the background, but the other part of it was that as as much as those early summers at Tassajara and then living in the Zen community on on Bush Street 
influenced me, as did my three years living at Tassajara in the 70s, mm-hmm. which also came out of, out of suffering. And at that point, it was either Tassajara or, or a halfway house somewhere. I mean, my behavior had gotten pretty extreme. Mm-hmm. So there was a way in which, for me, Buddhism... What I say, for a long time, it, it ultimately turned out to be about mental health. And, and the practice um, provided that, provided a base for me, a kind of a foundation image that I had had for years. And I think a lot of us, at least in those days and all the way through, got, well, mm-hmm. you know this far better than I do, how many, all, all the ways different people got the Buddhism and, and Zen and the Zen Center. But, yeah. but, you know, there was a way, I mean, literally Zen, Zen Center and Dick Baker saved my life. Hmm. Yeah, he always uh, liked you. Well, you went to Harvard, and he would prejudice toward people who went to Harvard. Yeah, he, no question, he took a shine to me. Yeah. You know, he... Uh, we we can go into that at some point, and then we had a a little falling out after his falling out. But you know we've connected a little bit off and on over the years, but not so much. I'm if I'm in touch with anybody these days in, in Dick's world, it's Paul Rosenblum. Oh well, that's pretty close. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> but but not but not that much. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it was like, you know, I've developed a wonderful relationship over the years, in part because we were at Tassahara together with Mark Lesser. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think his wonderful newsletter and the work he's done is, as you know, is utterly remarkable. I suspect you've interviewed him over the years. Uh, no, I, I haven't. Um, I... I interviewed um, uh, um, Lee Lesser. I would. Uh, and, and, I would. Go ahead. And, and uh, because I'd, I'd um, you know, I'd um, had uh, C- C- Chris uh, Fortin as a uh, guest, and she talked about the stuff she and Lee did together with uh, veterans and uh, other things. And uh, but uh, I have Mark on the list definitely to uh, get. Well, to. I'd put him right up. I'd put Mark at close to the top of the list. All right, you got I, it. I what Mark Mark has done both in the business world and bringing meditation into the corporate world and the kind of consulting he does all over with. Humility doesn't even do it justice. Yeah. But he, he is a remarkable human yeah. being. I have been involved with uh, him we, we've through re- the years with um, uh, the various projects of his. World Without War. Remember that? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. With but, but the way, the connection, say again. Sorry, David. With Kaz Tanahashi. Right. 
Well, the connection with Mark is that I think his newsletter is Zen Bones. And the, the phrase that came up is that Zen is in my bones. <laughs> mm. You know, I never chose to be formal about it because it was like there was a different trajectory yeah. in my life. But, you know, but it's, uh, it's all the same. Yeah. Yeah. I'm it's all the same. I I mean I the phrase that you know the great phrase of I guess is that the third patriarch life is easy as long as there are no preferences. Hmm. You know that one, I'm sure. Oh well, and, don't don't uh, <laughs> depend on me to remember you know, anything. <laughs> I won't. Hello. But anyway, the way that's evolved for me is pre- pre- the evolution of that phrase for me is in preferences, but no expectations. Yeah. Hope, if you like, but no hope, if you like, in the context of just as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know who was just here that talked about you was uh, John Burney. Uh, and he was just passing through, but um, he he had um, been friends with um, Candace Cousins uh, when he was young, you know, and he mentioned you had a, a connection to Candace Cousins, and I said, well, I was with Candace in SDS in 1964 in Chicago, with jobs and income. Well, that was great, David. I didn't know that. I have not been in touch with Candace for quite a while. She was a very, very close friend for the years I lived in uh, in Berkeley. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, her, her father was one of the greats and kind of the, you know, you call it anti-nuclear movement 1.0. Yeah, he he. Uh, I, I subscribed to the Saturday Review of Literature when I was in high school. And one thing I'm aware of is that uh, that he published an uh, uh, editorial against the bombing of Hiroshima, the like the day after it happened, or something. But well, we could also go back to John Burney. How, how lovely you got to spend time with him. Well, he was, was what what had brought him to your neck of the woods. He uh, and his much younger. And very savvy husband uh, were on their tenth w- wedding anniversary whirlwind trip of Asia, and we got three hours on their way to the airport to leave Bali. Uh, and it was great. We just had, you know, we just had a terrific time. Uh, him and uh, Yasua and uh, Katrinka and I. We took him to a Real authentic Balinese Indonesian restaurant near here. That's that's really nice, and uh, we talk and talk and talk. And then I got him a. They had so much stuff. I I had to call a taxi with a van, and I can do that on my app. I can tell them what size I want, and we saw them off. But it was just great. He was so interesting. Uh, 
and the stuff he's into. I'm doing a, a podcast talk with him soon. Uh, but I well, I look forward to listening to it. Yeah, I won't forget Mark Lesser. You, you've, I'm, I'm, I, he's on a. I'll, I'll just, I'll just zip him up as soon as possible. <laughs> um, well, John, John is a great soul. He really is, and his commitment to awakening and teaching and the communities he works in and his kind of clear light has been really a joy. I mean, we were at Tassajar together, mm-hmm. and uh, he, he used to make yogurt. Mm. But uh, we were dear friends for a long time, and we haven't. We, we connect every so often, but I love and respect the man. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, he, you know, I guess there, how would I say it? There's, there's an interesting lineage of folks who were so impacted by their time at Zen Center. And yeah. yet the teaching they did was a kind of, well, let's just say a, t- a teaching within a different, it, Zen, Zen based, but not necessarily Zen, whatever evolved for them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. Adyashanti, Adyashanti, who essentially gave John permission, as it were, to teach. And perform know, their marriage so, ceremony. And, and Adyashanti is just so much in that same lineage. Yeah. Of starting with Zen and then becoming, you know, I can't say a universal teacher, but just becoming a teacher in his own way. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's it's fascinating the extraordinary number of teachers who came to Zen or students who came to Zen Center and have remained at Zen Center and become such wonderful teachers and those for whom Zen was kind of such an important part of their evolving path. Right, right. And uh yeah, yeah people went through Zen Center. Many of them are still uh, in, involved in Soto Zen. Many of them are involved in other types of Buddhism. Many of them are involved in other types of spiritual uh, uh, teachings and lives uh, that we wouldn't define as Buddhism. Uh, you know, there's... Uh, and. And it's interesting, the very, very high percentage of them that they're leading productive lives. And, uh, uh, I really love hearing what, what they have to say, you know. Uh, and I love hearing what you have to say. <laughs> it's, um, yeah. Well, it's, it's pretty remarkable. You know, one of the people who reminds me who also, played a major role in our lives in different ways was the, you know, essentially the way in which Yvonne ended up more, if you like, in Tibetan Buddhism. Yeah, yeah. But I remember the very first time I walked into the Zen Center office and there was Yvonne. Uh, it's, yeah. She it's was interesting. The, go ahead. She was our den mother. Wasn't she? Yeah. She took care of everybody. 
<laughs> this reminds me of something, David, that I say, say about you. Um, I take generalities with a kind of grain of salt, mm-hmm. except when one doesn't. But there's an old generality I heard years ago that Zen attracts the obsessive compulsives and Tibetan Buddhism attracts the hysterics. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> and you're, you're, if you like, um, capacity to embrace both. There was a way that I always felt your, what would I call it, wonderful and appropriate outrageousness always kept Zen Center honest in a certain kind of way. Oh. Because it did did tend a little bit for the serious side. Oh, yes. One could definitely say that. Yeah. Um, well, all groups and institutions veer off course and have to, you know, they either go way off course or they have corrections. Um, and I, I think Zen Center's had a lot of corrections and it always needs corrections. It's an institution, a group, you know, and so do individuals. Same thing. Well, I think from from that point of view, one of the great things that Suzuki Roshi did almost lay down is tracks, almost like recording tracks. That Zen Center has really had to live with is beginner's mind. Yeah. I mean, I hadn't put, put that together, but what you're saying is that Zen Center is a wonderful example of that. Because so many groups and teachers become ossified and then they either cause a lot of harm and fall by the wayside and sometimes fall by the wayside after they've caused a lot of harm. Uh, um, well, generality, David. Yeah, it's really hard for, uh, you know, when, when people are doing things together for uh, a lot of harm, not to be a part of it. Uh, we, I, I think uh, we, we, we can't, if we tried to eliminate, I mean, we try to eliminate all the harm, but if we're too successful, uh, we eliminate too much. You know, it's like a filter or something. Uh, well, you know, the sh- we all have our shadow, whatever it is, whoever yeah. we are, whatever our, quote, development is. Yeah. And and the, what would I call it? You know, the willingness to tend to our psychological selves and our spiritual selves. Yeah. Along with ourselves. It's just... You know, critical. And I think in the early days of practice, that wasn't so well known. And it's become incredibly well known. Yeah. As, as Zen is, as Zen and other practices have found their way to this country over these last decades. Yeah. Yeah. David, how, how did you find your way to Zen Center? Um, well, I grew up in a home with a very sympathetic type of uh, outlook 
sort of um, the precursor of the new age. You know, uh, you create your own reality. Uh, New Thought Christianity. And uh, Mm -hmm. so that, uh, and it wasn't uh, theistic uh, at all. Uh, And, uh, um, you know, then uh, uh, just LSD and and reading a few things here and there and deciding I needed to meditate and getting to Zen Center. Uh, and because I was going to San Francisco to, to check out the scene there in 66, and within a few months, I was sitting at the Zen Center. Well, within at six months, I was sitting at the Zen Center. And that changed everything. Mm-hmm. That, that changed everything. Ah, boy. i tell you one thing I've heard a lot of people say, and John said it, uh, how glad they are they they ran into the Zen Center at the point in their lives that they did. Uh, you know, even people that didn't stay with it, uh, you know. Uh, you know, they, they they talk about, you. The, the phrase comes to mind, the stink of Zen. But yes. it's really the perfume, it's really the perfume of Zen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that room, what a, Again, all these old wonderful stories, and I'm sure this comes in many flavors, but I remember driving Suzuki Roshi somewhere, and I think we were in the hate. And he turned, I don't know what, to me or somebody in the car, and he said, you know, I always wondered what would have happened if Zen Center had started in the hate, uh, not where we did. <laughs> uh, that's funny. So many people came to him in those years. Oh yeah, who realized that uh, whatever their drug experience was, it wasn't sustainable. Yeah, there were some that that wanted to continue uh, the psychedelics and Zim, and there's some that did in a very uh, minimal way. Uh, he he, uh, you know, he was, uh, you know, he'd say he was uh, a that he knew many people had come to practice because of of uh, psychedelics and uh uh he was appreciative of that but if people were too much into it he he'd say negative things you know about uh you know he discouraged them off that path um there was an effort to start a zendo in the hate uh who was into that mm we were, they were talking to the guys over at the Straight Theater, I think, and uh, there's a guy named Bob who was doing that, and he tried to get uh, Suzuki to take acid, and uh, <laughs> there was that happening. But and they were trying to get Katagiri to be the priest there too. Nah, I don't think it. I don't think it would have been good. Well, then you you can answer you can deal with a, a fable. Yeah. I mean, the story I heard once that, you know, Suzuki Roshi agreed to take acid, but it didn't have any effect. No, that's not true. Uh, that's not, you're, you can, you're no, sure that's, that that's, that's not true. That's Neem Curly Baba. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my. Yeah. 
Uh, he wouldn't. He didn't agree. Uh, he took uh, Bob. I wonder what Bob. Maybe somebody hears this will remind me. Bob said. Was it Bob? This, you're not talking Bob Watkins, are you? No, Bob Watkins was uh, never did anything like that. He was only at Tassajara. Uh, he was there the first practice period. He was there beforehand. I mean, he came like in February, you know, yeah, and he left him. in uh, October of the first year. And, uh, uh, he, you know, he had, uh, enjoyed, uh, pot. In fact, pot, uh, provided the vehicle that he drove <laughs> and uh, all the supplies he had and money for them to live by. Uh, one little sailboat trip to Mexico and back. Uh, and, uh, but, uh, not him. No, it's a guy, I, I haven't thought of him in a long time. But there were a few, you know, Lorraine Palmer was probably interested in it and, uh, John Palmer. Uh, uh, but, um, I don't think it would have been a good idea. I think it was better where it was. You know, too much oh, stuff I, happened in the hate. The hate was full of all sorts of, I mean, in, in 67, the speed started getting in there and it was really terrible. Uh, you know, uh, so, uh, yeah, but you know, it's funny. Uh, I've been back in 10 years, but the hate was, the hate always re- retained some of that spirit or feeling that it had back in the 60s. David, how does Katrinka spend her time? She's involved with uh, two social groups, Bali International Women's Association and the Rotary. And they're the Sanur, well, BWA, Bali International, it's, uh, you know, Mainly the people that live near here, near us in Sunur. And they do things like help uh, people with um, uh, getting uh, water to their village from, you know, getting a pump and uh, uh, get, setting up a dental clinic. A uh, friend of hers set up a whole, uh, a whole little hospital. There really wasn't there. Uh, and, uh, uh, we we went to a ceremony there. That's the place that's three hours away, because it's a nice. It's near Ahmed, which is a nice place to go. Uh, so we went to this ceremony for the two year, uh, two years it had been open, and they they keep expanding. You know, to have emergency services and doctor full time and different things. And like the guy who was driving us said, yeah, without it, it's changed everything. We would have had to go to mm. Amanpura before, uh, which is, uh, you know, an hour and a half away. But now we can go right up there. And, and he said, you know, I went for such and such a problem. And uh, his payment was about uh, 65 cents, you know, so they get all the Westerners around there, too, and their payment will be more like $65. <laughs> well, bless, bless your good wife. Yeah, so a lot of things like that. Uh, and um, I'm very involved in uh, 12-step stuff, you know. Uh, uh, so many of our friends here 
we know through 12-step programs. And hmm. I'm, you know, she's, uh, she's, um, what is she, 24 years, 25 years without a drink. I'm 19, but I don't go to meetings. I don't like meetings. Uh, <laughs> David, how would you, if you like, if, if, if it's a legitimate question, compare and contrast 12-step and Zen practice? No, I won't do that. I'm not qualified to do that. Look, 12-step is very, very big in uh, the San Francisco Zen Center. Uh, I remember uh, uh, somebody telling me that, you know, they have different things happening, opening open to the public almost every night. But the one that draws the biggest crowd is Monday night, which is 12-step. Uh and at, at the Zen, you're saying at, at the, the Zen, Zen Center, Center in the Buddha Hall. Yeah, really. Yeah, twelve steps. Oh my big. goodness! And it's really important in Asia because, uh, you know, it's new and the whole idea. You know, it's like America in the fifties. Uh, uh, you know, it gets out. You've seen a psychiatrist. People say, "Well, he's crazy," or if you. Uh, uh, you know, if you're in AA, people say, oh, this person's uh, a drunk. But <laughs> my parents' friends were alcoholics, I can tell you. But <laughs> they weren't in AA. I did know some adults who were in AA, and they were very quiet about it. Uh, anyway, uh, I'm, I'm no expert on AA. You know what Nils Ohm said about AA? He said it's the great American religion. It is. You know where Niels is these days? Uh, yes, he's in the Happy Hunting Ground. As of when? You know? 2011. I'll be darned. Yeah. It, I was very, very close to him. We were always in contact. Uh, and he, I'm going to, I all, I'm going to go read it to you. Um, he, gave me a kind of a calligraphy he did. Oh, yeah. His art was amazing. That's one thing I'll do when I get back. His son is old enough to give all the art of Nils I have. I refused uh, back then because, you know, I just thought he was too young. I I, I didn't think it would last. But I, I should have a lot. And Nils would have an exhibition and sell out. I walked into our meditation room, and there's a calligraphy that Nils did for me that's been with us, you know, I don't know how long, 50 years, mm. 40, 45 years. And it's um, basically, and I, I never exactly remember it, but if it, the, the phrase is, if it comes out of nothing, Everything you do is pure activity. From a, a quote from Suzuki Roshi. But. Going back to your spiritual path. So at some point you, you left the Zen Center umbrella, like in the late 70s? Yeah, late 70s, very early 80s. Right. And um, 
So I know I know a, a couple of things you were into. I can think right now Avatar, and um, oh, my neighbor in Bolinas. What's her name? Uh, uh, Candace Cousins. Right, Candace Woods could drink his first. No, 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 no. Not 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 cousins, cousins. Right, Candace. <laughs> Candace. Right. Candace. 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 Denver. <laughs> yeah, Candace was could drink his first sponsor in AA. <laughs> That's and, an interesting factoid. And she had a home across the street from where I was living in Bolinas. Although I didn't know her, she might have gotten it later. I only discovered that later. Yeah, we used to go visit her in Bolinas. Hmm. Hmm. It's right above where Liz Tuomi and yeah, so Okamura lived. We, kind of out toward the point. One of the points. Anyway, yeah, we found our way to Candace and we were with her for some years. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, how, how, how much, how much truth telling do you in, on these conversations, David? Or not, you know, truth as we know it. Candace, Candace was a remarkable teacher. Yeah. And she really kind of decoded Tibetan Buddhism for a lot of people. Yeah. And, and shall we say there were a lot of issues. Yeah. And, and it took us a while to kind of extricate ourselves from her group. Yeah. But, but I certainly don't regret any of the time together because often uh, often we wake how should we say it we wake up to what I would say are power imbalances at different times in our lives that was a, a pa- that was a power imbalance through, through no fault of her own well it was through no you know it's I often thought that John, all right, John Bernie warned us about Candace before we ever got involved in it from his own time in Belitas, which, you know, I, I think he still has a place in Belitas. And, uh, or he did for a long time. And then, you know, Candace, I think, was raised a Roman Catholic. And I think she took some of that upbringing and, shall we say, recreated a structure that was not not different from that. And it served, a lot, you know, like all of these practices, it served a lot of people. You know, we taught Avatar for a while. One of our favorite teachers is now in Australia, a beautiful man named Peter Fenner who edited a book years ago on non-dual therapy. And, you know, we, another teacher, do you ever know the name Dan Brown? Oh, yeah, I'm familiar with the name, but. Anyway, one of his top students has lived in Boulder, John Churchill. Mm -hmm. And we worked with John. I think a lot of what, we ended up doing over the years, particularly when we moved to this house on the edge of Boulder and Longmont that has a big meditation room, is that we found 
teachers and groups that we had an affinity toward and kind of help them along the way. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, if I were to say, you know, to pick a teacher besides Suzuki Roshi, um, it's a it's a Brit by the name of Rupert Spira. You know Rupert's work at all? No, no. He comes out of a Shamir Kashmir tradition in India and is a, as good an exponent and teacher and presencing of the non-dual in that particular framework as anybody we've come across. Mm. And um, it's a wonderful guy in the Bay Area named Jonathan Gustin who does podcasts, and he had Adya Shanti, Rupert Spira, and a man named John Prendergast, <clears throat> who's both a non-dual therapist and a spiritual teacher, in a wonderful dialogue a few months ago, mm. um, which I would be happy to send to you. I think you'd, I don't know if you'd take time to listen to stuff. Not but usually, but you can send it. All right. Well, you know, I'd say listen to the first half hour. Mm-hmm. And you'll get a, you'll get a flavor, particularly of Adyashanti and Rupert. And you know, Rupert's become a major international teacher. But it's all you know. It's all about waking up. It's all about finding our true nature. I've heard Adyashanti a few times. Yeah, I really you know, like he, him. You know, he did sessions with um, Bill Kwong, and he had this Zen teacher that nobody ever heard of, who was amazing. Yeah, she was in like Los Gatos or something. Exactly. Well, Aja has stopped teaching. He can't remember the illness. It's when your face kind of. It's almost like you've had a stroke for part, part of your face. Uh-huh. And, and he, anyway, he's wrestled with incredible pain over about a 20-year period. And, um, you know, he stopped teaching for a while, and he's just, he's finally retired. It's probably the right thing for him to do anyway, but it was just too much. And you'll get a flavor of that in his, in this talk of his. Yeah, um, yeah, that reminds me, um, uh, I saw a thing once on what are the most painful things, uh, what are the, that you can feel, and the one that came out on top was uh, in the facial muscles. Well, one can only imagine. But, you know, but David, getting back to it, Margot had a who I've now been with her. We met on January the 6th in 1983 at the Zen Center Guest House. Um, but she had a true awakening at Green Gulch during a session a few years before I met her. So we met really in the context of Suzuki Roshi. And it was, and it was a real kind of recognition at that level of mutual recognition. 
But, and we met going back, you know, at the level of creating your own reality. One New Year's, instead of going to her Aikido practice at the dojo in Mill Valley that George Leonard helped, helped run, and, and she knew Terry Dobson, if you remember that name. Anyway, Terry ended up living in Japan for years and studying with the founder of the Aikido, a man named Do Sensei. So anyway, there was a very strong kind of connection at that level when we met. In fact, Margot, I think, really considered her primary teaching to be Aikido. But her path, ever since we've met her, and, and I really kind of followed her, was finding teachers who were just helping with awakening. And she's had this phrase for a long time called beat the clock with mass extinction. And there's a whole social science that's developed in the last years. Actually, you'll find this interesting, David, called collapsology. And I'll, again, it's, it's basically the recognition that it's not looking good for the species given the poly crisis. And, you know, and whether it's fast or slow, we're, uh, whatever it is, we're, it, it's not looking good. And, you know, it's kind of part of my activism was a group back in the early 80s in which, and Joanna Macy was part of this, of a willingness to say, look, whether we go fast with nuclear war or slow with environmental destruction, we we have to face the potential death of our species. And that willingness that really came out of Zen Center for me was that willingness to do what Joanna ended up calling the despair and empowerment work. That unless we really felt our despair, our anger, our rage, our sadness, whatever it is, that we're, we're the generation that's leaning toward the end of at least two-legged life on this planet, that we have to really take that in and grieve for it. Otherwise, our activism adds more anger and suffering to the fire. If we can't do it with some equanimity, there's a beautiful, I don't, you get Zen Center's communications, don't you? Yeah, I scan them and read anything if it well, looks Well, Zen Center sent out their Christmas communication maybe two weeks ago on the value of practice toward equanimity. And it was the most, is is touching and poignant and succinct a statement of the value of practice I've ever read. It was so heartwarming to read it. And I think that's been really where that turned out to be the basis for my activism. You know, doing it. I'll, I'll, I'll send you the 
the particular article, I mean, Communication Presents, and Joanna's work, which used to be called the Despair and Empowerment work, is now called the work that reconnects. She was deeply influenced by Thich Nhat Hanh and Thich Nhat Hanh's whole concept of interbeing. She knew him well and then traveled with him at different times. Mm. Anyway, Joanna is, I don't know, she, she's in her mid to late nineties and go, and going strong. We got to spend some time with her in the Bay Area last summer. Wow. wow. But back to Margot. Her concept of beat the clock with mass extinction was, do we have enough time for enough people on the planet in whatever way, shape, or form to wake up? You know, whether it's to the notion of oneness or our interconnectedness or the sense that all life is sacred. And, you know, the jury is out. Yeah. I know. Not looking so good at the moment. Yeah, I, I I agree with you, but I, I noticed Bill Gates is is has been much more uh, upbeat uh, recently. Uh, he feels well. There, a lot of the go on. Go, no, no, you go on. Well, no, I'm just, I'm just saying in general. He talks about a lot of things that are happening that can make a real difference, and um, uh. And he says, of course, we need more to happen. But um, he says uh, it's, it's a little early to uh, give it up. <laughs> to, to, to give up on the human experiment. Right. Now, look, <clears throat> I think this collapsology is a very important scenario to take seriously because the, the result of it is a lot more local resilience. And a lot more local economies and a lot more local food sovereignty and mm -hmm. so forth. Mm -hmm. And we, a lot more people doing, taking care of each other at a local level. Right. We get um, local uh, organic produce brought to us by the farmers here. You know, and, and you know, you're well aware of farmers markets all over the, the country. Yeah. So... David, the one thing I'll say, is, and then kind of put a exclamation point on it, to me, and I think I have mentioned this, I mean, the, the major issue for us in the States at this point is democracy versus authoritarianism. Yeah, looks like it, huh? And looks like it, you know, whether it's Trump or Nikki Haley. But in any event... The only thing that I, as a citizen who has the privilege of spending a lot of time doing this, I think I can, and we can do is register as many people as possible. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, a lot of the rest of it's just out of my control because I don't have any positions of power or so forth in the Democratic Party and watching Bobby Kennedy or no labels or the whole Biden co-on. It's just, you know, it's all out of, outside of my control and the situation's so fluid. So yeah, we can just help register as many people and get them to the polls. And the one 
two areas that we've three assigned. One is registering high school students. And there are three facts that are fascinating. Name, 86% of high school students who either pre-register and register actually vote. 40% of high school students go to college, which means if you don't get them to be regular voters in high school, it's a lot harder later on. Mm-hmm. And um, two-thirds, and, and these organizations are all nonpartisan. They have to be. But two-thirds of all the high school registrants vote Democratic. Mm. And 75% of all high school students in Ohio are not registered to vote. I encouraged you in an email is uh, that for you and uh, Peter Coyote to uh, talk about this because he's really into it too. And he has a certain amount of reach, you know. David, who would have thought? Oh, I'll keep asking you questions until you've decided you've had enough. Who, A, who would have thought you would have ever been a historian and a biographer? But when, when did this work? When did this role emerge for you? You know, I remember Peter Schneider at Tassajara back in the 60s telling me I was Tassajara's newspaper. Uh-huh. Uh, well, and I was, and you still are. I was always a writing thing, writing songs, uh, writing things yeah. down. And I did proposals. Oh, I hate that. Uh, yeah, I did a proposal for Green Gulch to be solar. $25,000. Oh, God, it was like in 1983. No, before, while Dick was still. No, maybe after him. I don't know, around there. And, you know, I didn't, didn't even get an answer. Uh, and uh, I don't know. Did you send it to Huey Johnson? <laughs> no, I should have. <laughs> you, yeah. you, I wish I'd known. I would have told you to send it to Huey. Yeah, that I should have sent it to you. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things when I look on, back on the past, I realized I didn't follow up well enough. Uh, this, you know, um, uh, yeah, uh, just almost everything. I could have done better. I could have done more. We all, this, this is what we hopefully learn a little bit about when we do it the next time. Right. And here you are. Right. You're doing it. You know, Dick Baker once said to Jack Tiersma, who was a dear friend, at least this is the way Jack reported it. Dick said to Jack during uh, the shoe so cer- whatever the ceremony was, wasn't the shoe settle, was it different? Um, but in any event, he said, Jack, do it again. And this time, do it right. Oh, it sounds like a show son. Show son. It was a show son ceremony. Yeah, yeah. Do it, do it again, and this time, do it right. I, that has stayed with me for a long time. Yeah. Um, just Huey, and then I probably should go to David. Yeah. Stuart Brand once one of the great descriptions of a human being I've ever heard. Huey, Stuart Brand described Huey Johnson as a thug for God. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> we we need more thugs for we need more thugs for Buddha and God. Yeah. yeah. David, you've been, you've been a thug for Buddha for a long time. <laughs> 
All right. You don't have to respond to that one. <laughs> okay, John. Look, it's been great talking with you. Uh, and we will be in touch. I've oh, made a list of things you're supposed to send touch, me. My friend. Yeah, we'll see how much you remember. Uh, <laughs> I only remember one. Uh, okay. Well, you take care. All right, pal. Bye. Be well. Yeah. Lots of love. You Bye-bye. too. Bye. So thanks a lot, John. John Steiner. Appreciate it. Good to talk with you. Good to have known you all these years. Thanks for all your good deeds. And uh, keep up the good work. And good luck getting uh, uh, everybody registered to vote. Oh, you know, I was mentioning the proposal <laughs> for the solar program at Green Coast. No, that was after Richard Baker. I, if it had been Richard Baker, I would have taken it right to him. And uh, it was uh, easier to get things done, you know, less bureaucratic than we had uh, back in the imperial system. All you had to do was get him interested. Uh, and and, um, and that's just the sort of thing he would have been interested in. Um, and I would have gotten Sim Vandering involved, who was the state architect at the time, and, uh, you know, had founded the Office of Appropriate Technology in, in Sacramento. And I, I'd worked for the uh, California Conservation Corps there. So uh, anyway, it didn't happen, but they've done stuff since then. You know, it takes time. Uh, institutions can be slow. Another proposal I wrote, sort of a proposal, I wrote a letter to the um, elders group you know, the senior priests. And I talked about uh, some of the early students of Suzuki Roshi that were like in nursing homes or in convalescent hospital or, uh, you know, uh, in in their own home or something, but they were sort of isolated and that one of our practices should be to visit them and keep up with them. And then also anybody who's sick or isolated or having a hard time, and this this should, you know, um, this should be an assumed part of our practice. Uh, anyway, I spent time on it, and I think I made a copy for every member, and um, I never heard anything back. Uh, all all good people, but you know they're busy. They got a lot of things to talk about in the meeting. Um, let me think. Oh, I'll tell you another one. That this is—I mean, this, this stuff like this—I I expect now because I've 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 dealt with institutions quite a bit. When when I was uh, working for the state, I learned to deal with institutions, and you know, one thing I found working with the state was that uh, a lot of uh, us would go in there being real anti-bureaucracy, and you know, still it's always difficult. We come out with a lot of respect for the bureaucrats. They were all working hard and trying to do a good job. I had a in Japan. I had a uh, a bureaucrat in in immigration just blow up at me, say, "Look, I am trying hard to do a good job. I am not a mindless bureaucrat, but you, there are fifty people in front of you. 
or something like that. And it just is going to take time. And then I knew 50 people in front of me. I, I, I couldn't argue that. So I knew another card to pull for Japan. I said, oh, yeah, I'm very sorry. I, I, uh, I, I don't want to uh, uh, inconvenience you and the other people, of course, should go first. Um, it's just that my hosts here um, were expecting me for dinner because they invited some of their best friends there, and, and I hate to embarrass them and not show up. And he said, I'll have you out of here in 10 minutes. <laughs> um, but uh, here's here's another one. Um, the you know I'm I I collected I started collecting uh, the, the the Shunyu Suzuki uh, lectures everywhere find them everywhere I could on paper in 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 computers. Uh, you know, uh, on tapes, and and I've been doing that a while. And and first created a, a a written, you know, the the transcript, the beginnings of the transcript archive. That was around, you know, uh, I, I don't know. I started doing that in 1995. Anyway, there was a guy at Tassahara. Uh, at, at, at Jamesburg. He was running the Jamesburg house. Now, I'm trying to remember if I had audio on there yet. I think I started putting audio on there about 2008. Anyway, he created a little website for him, a little private one with a, uh, you had to have an, I uh, use, you had to write Buddha, for the ID and the password was something similar, you know? And he sent the, the link and the information about it to like the 12 key people, you know? Uh, the abbots of Zen Center, Reb and Mel, uh, to Steve Stuckey or who, I don't know, Steve Stuckey. Then, if I, yeah, I was involved with Steve on it then. Anyway, he said only one person answered him. This was the first. He he did the first. The whole Shunyu Suzuki dot com, the engaged wisdom thing, the stuff you see on this center site. This guy did it first. Um, if you read the history of uh, Shunyu Suzuki archiving dot com, it has his name. I forget now, but. Nobody answered him except one person, me. And I took that, and that's that was the first. Uh, I just used it as is, as he did it for the beginnings of shunyusuzuki.com. Uh, but things happen because of individuals charging away. And that's uh, one reason why it's a mistake to... Uh, tried to depend on government. Now, government does a lot of things to help people and doesn't get it credit it deserves. And then it's got all these people trying to destroy it um, and trying to privatize everything. Uh, and uh, But <laughs> things tend to happen. Whatever happens, 
that's worthwhile tends to have been something that individuals push for or a small group of dedicated people push for. Anyway, I just wanted to say that. And uh, look, time to go, huh? This has been a Cuke Audio podcast. I'm D.C. Poobah Cuke Audio and Cuke Archives. Coming to you from Sleepy Sonur with Doggett Bandita. Guest Doggett Boom Boo and Feline Manis. And dear, lovely Katrinka. And we're all wishing you and yours and all of us a grand awakening.